What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golliver of the Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by new co-host Michael Pina of SB Nation. Now, Michael, we're about a month into the NBA season. It's a very typical kind of milepost to uh, check in on some big picture topics. And I got to say, shout out to my guy, Ty, from Palm Springs, a very loyal Open Floor Globe member. He's always sending in emails to openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. And Michael, he read my mind perfectly because I wanted to take a step back and focus on some of the bigger picture topics Uh, Now that we're a month in, now that we've got a pretty decent sample size, now that a lot of the weird stuff has maybe shaken out, and Ty just nailed it with this question, okay? He writes, the basketball season has had a lot of headlines and storylines that have not exactly highlighted the great play so far on the court this season. China obviously was a huge deal, but load management took up a week of the news cycle. It's great that Carmelo Anthony is back, but does he even really matter? My question for you is this. What are the stories that you, Ben Golliver, feel should be the biggest headlines of the NBA season through the first month? Well, Ty, thank you so much. I'm glad you asked. And, uh, you know, Michael, I want to hear your takes on this too, but here's what we should do, I think. I'm going to give you a quick run-through of my top five stories so far of the 2019-2020 season. You're going to play, I don't know, middle school professor, middle, middle school teacher. You're going to break out your red pen. You're going to tell me what I got wrong, what I got right. And then you're going to maybe throw in some honorable mentions and snubs uh, as we go. What do you think? That sounds wonderful, Ben. All right. I'm starting with the biggest possible name there is. That would be LeBron James. Okay. He is my number one story so far of this season. And before you groan and say, oh, come on, LA, man, you just picked a big LA star. I think it's important to say this. LeBron is playing harder on defense more consistently than at any point of his career since probably his peak Miami days to me. I think it's been that long. Uh, He is locked in, flying around the court, closing out on, on shooters, making extra rotations, hustling back in transition defense. I mean, there was a beautiful play the other night where both LeBron and Anthony Davis were flying back to to uh, get back, protect the basket against a guy leaking out. And I was sitting there rubbing my eyes like, wait a minute, was this the same LeBron James that I was watching last season with the Lakers? Uh, because the effort level looked like he had shifted basically from second gear into sixth gear. And the reason why it's such a big story Uh, not only his defensive impact and the fact that he's leading the league in assists and the fact that he's scoring like he kind of always has been able to score. It's just the historical ramifications here. Uh, Another title, if he gets a third title with a third team, that's crazy. Uh, Another MVP award is is definitely possible for him. That's obviously huge in these conversations with guys like Michael Jordan as the greatest of all time. Uh, And then you just look at a legacy standpoint and a validation standpoint. If he's actually able to turn a Lakers organization around in basically two years and and make them contenders and get them into the finals, um, that's nuts. And it's a huge chapter to what has been an incredible story that, that seemingly never ends. So to me, I really think that Le- LeBron deserves to be viewed as sort of the biggest picture story so far in the league, uh, largely because of the historical ramifications, but also just because he's been super fun to watch play. And this is the LeBron we all missed during last year's playoffs. This is the LeBron we missed even during last year's regular season due to injury and just due to kind of the chaos um, you know, of that Lakers environment. So Michael, I pitch it to you. Am I right? Am I one for one here or did I already blow it? No, I, I, I love LeBron. I mean, it's it's awesome to see him have this rejuvenated season with the B12 shot that is Anthony Davis in his arm. Uh, I, I It's awesome <laughs> to watch them play together. Uh, when they're on the court together, this is definitely a, a, a championship contender, if not the championship favorite. And, you know, yeah, when we look back at last season, it was it was a bummer for basketball that LeBron was not at his peak, healthy, uh, surrounded by the type of talent that he's accustomed to playing besides and having success with. So it's awesome to see. Um, I, I think you knocked this one out of the park, Ben. I just want to throw out a quick, interesting uh, stat to kind of support LeBron as an MVP candidate. Awesome. Uh, you know, when he's on the floor with AD, I said, as I said, they've been they've been terrific. Um, their offense, when AD is not on the floor, 
uh, is best in the league. And when AD is on the court without LeBron, they're terrible. So LeBron is, it doesn't even matter. Like AD is, 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 is AD. We all know how special he is on both ends of the court, but LeBron is just all time still at 35 years old and whatever season he's in 16, 17, I don't even remember. Uh, he's, he's just unspeakably incredible. Yeah, and uh, I think the easiest way to summarize the difference from this year to last year is last year, I remember right about this time, LeBron was floating out JaVale McGee as a defensive player of the year candidate. And I was like that meme where it's like the smiling face mask and then behind the mask is a guy crying. That was me when I had to listen (laughs) to that argument from LeBron. And now this year, uh, just the other night, he floats out Anthony Davis as a defensive player of the year candidate. And guess what? I didn't have to have wear a mask. I was just smiling because Anthony Davis is pretty locked in. He's playing well. Like you mentioned, they've hit the ground running, uh, the Lakers have, uh, with an incredible record to start the season and also just an entertaining, hardworking style of play. Those guys are figuring prominently into basically everything they're doing. And uh, you know, you love to see it. Things got very ugly last year, especially for Anthony Davis. There were times where he definitely lost control. He seems happy. He seems like he's found a good fit. Uh, It really seems like he's bonding with LeBron. And, you know, all the role players uh, over the years who have been elevated by LeBron, uh, that was not the story last year. There was a lot of guys who struggled to find their fits, who were probably played worse when they were on the court with LeBron than they might just in a vacuum. Uh, it's back to the normal story. You know, all their supporting cast guys are being set up for success. The ball's moving. LeBron's leading the league in assists. Like I mentioned, he's keeping everybody involved. I think he's leading on and off the court too, trying to keep guys like Contavious Caldwell Pope mentally engaged through some struggles and having that pay off with some pretty big, you know, uh, late game moments uh, from a guy like KCP in recent games. It's just been an all around performance from LeBron. He deserves heat uh, when he doesn't live up to those standards that he set. But when he does, he deserves praise. To me, he's the biggest story in the league, Ty. All right, number two. And if you thought that was a lot of gushing, uh, just brace yourself. Okay, we've got <laughs> <laughs> we've got some more gushing to come. Uh, and the topic, of course, to me, it's Luka Doncic. And I'm going to hedge this a little bit, Michael. I think that Trey Young deserves to be kind of uh, a co-headliner or a sub-headliner along with Luka just because he's also 20. He's also in his second year. He's also carrying an offense basically by himself. And if he wasn't out there, the Hawks would fall to pieces. But this this one's really about Luka. I mean, the reigning rookie of the year to me should be viewed as the favorite to win most improved player. And on top of that, when I look at the MVP conversation, I see LeBron, I see Giannis, I see Harden, I see Luka. And look, I'm not usually in the business of elevating young guys into that kind of stratosphere right off the top. But when you're looking at his case, the numbers have been outrageous. His age 20 player efficiency rating is on track to be the greatest of all time, better than Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Magic Johnson, uh, Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant, all those kinds of guys. The, The triple doubles have been completely nuts. The scoring ability has been out of control, but it's also translating to super efficient team offense, which matters a lot. And it's also even more importantly, translating to wins. So I don't know if he's going to be there by the end of the year. You know, a lot can happen. But if you're saying like right now through the first month of the season, I think Luka has to be on the MVP ballot. And I was bullish on him. I predicted him to win most improved player this season. I was not this bullish on him. I did not see this coming. And frankly, he was a guy who everyone said the hype was out of control about him before the draft. You know what? hypesters, pre-draft hypesters, step your game up, okay? Because you (laughs) undersold Luka Doncic, all right? He's 20, and he's blowing away everything you said he would ever be able to do. I I, I mean, watching Luka play is... the fact that he's 20, it, it makes it makes no sense. Like, there's no real precedent for this. And for it to be someone who is uh, European, who did not play in the NCAA, who were not, we didn't really get a taste of him over here as he was developing. So it's it, it feels even more surprising, as, as crazy as that sounds. But I mean, yeah, he's basically averaging a triple-double. He's averaging 30 points a game. The The team he's on has the best offense in basketball. He's shooting 67% on drives to the basket, and he drives more than basically any player in the league, which is like those numbers just don't happen. That That's prime LeBron James stuff right there. And the way he draws fouls is 
is is of someone who has been in the NBA for 10 years. I think he only two players have drawn more fouls than he has James Harden and Giannis Antetokounmpo. So, yeah, he's he's for sure an MVP candidate and it's a little unfair to make the comparisons between him and Trey Young. Uh, and I, I'm, I might pivot this a little over to, to Trey real quickly, but like Trey Young's having an incredible season. Trey Young's in his second year, and he's, I mean, I, I, I'm looking at the numbers and just watching him play and seeing what is around him and what he's doing with it. And I think Trey Young is a top five point guard already. So he might even be higher than that. So uh, it's kind of crazy that these two are as magical as they have been, and it's really fun to watch. Right. So Trey Young has better numbers than Steph had until his MVP season, right? I mean, which is crazy. So it's not just like, oh, Trey Young at 20 is, has better numbers than Steph at 20. No, he had better numbers than Steph at any point in his first six or seven years of his career, right? So that's the kind of breakout Trey Young is having. And yet you framed this properly. It's kind of disrespectful to Luka to even mention him with Trey Young because the Hawks aren't winning uh, and because, uh, you know, Trey, for everything he can do as a playmaker, he's just not that physical presence that Luka is on the ball. Uh, he's not the, the rebounding presence that Luka is. Um, and it hasn't translated to kind of historic, you know, truly crazy statistical levels like it has with Luka. It's nuts, man. Can I give you a real classic old man take? Do you know what I like about Luka? Underrated quality is how often he tweets about other basketball games that he's watching, right? And LeBron has gotten a lot of credit for this over the last five years of like his incredible photographic memory, how he watches every game, like, you know, that crazy man cave he has. And, you know, he's always, you know, keeping an eye, like if Carmelo's debuting, he's got an eye on that. You know, Dwayne Wade or Chris Paul is playing somewhere. He, he's, you know, checking in and watching their games. I mean, this is part of the Le- LeBron lore, right? I think Luca's already getting the same lore. Every time I go on Twitter, this guy is tweeting about, oh, this is such a fun game to watch. Oh, I'm really enjoying this game. Uh, he's always, you know, shouting out and dapping up guys that he played against. Remember that little scrape he had with Bradley Beal? He was trying to, uh, you know, go on Twitter to mend the fences. I just think that all this guy cares about is basketball. That's what it seems like to me, especially this year now that he's lost the weight and he's just locked in. It just seems like this is his driving force, and it's so important. I mean, things like attitude towards work. Uh, you know, things like, you know, what are your priorities in life? Are there distractions? What motivates you? What gets you up in the morning? Those are the kinds of like philosophical things I often look at when it comes to young players and trying to determine like, am I in on this guy or, or am I not? You know, it's one reason why I get so hyped up about a Giannis or I get so hyped up about a Pascal Siakam. And I want to just, you know, come on this podcast and just, you know, spread their gospel. Because if you really want to be great, it takes everything. You have to be completely bought in. I just think Luca is, man. I think this is what he wants to be. I think he's living his dream, and it's really fun to watch um, both on the court and social media. What's the? I, I think the the question that we go from here is like, where does this end with Luca? Like, how good can he be if he's this phenomenal as a twenty year old? He's got the confidence of like a perennial all-star the step back threes against the golden state warriors were just i mean absurd michael answer your own question what is his ceiling right now i mean go nuts you know go on a trip here let's do it what do you think i mean multiple time mvp winner for sure i would say like that's like, I don't know how many like three maybe three is four if I said three and a half would you take the over or the under I would take the under but I'm just cautious but I I'm I'm sitting here nodding I'm not sitting here thinking oh Michael you sound like a, you know a crackpot like keep going <laughs> keep going no I mean he he can I I think we'll see I I think Dallas is going to make the playoffs this year and we'll see how teams game plan against him uh offensively and defensively which was a topic that we brought up in our last episode and Dallas's defense is atrocious when Luka is on the court and you know he plays a ton of minutes and and there's a lot of weak points on that team so he's not all to blame but uh, he's not a perfect basketball player. He's just an incredibly talented one who's advanced beyond his years. I think when we get to the playoffs and we see that and we're able to just kind of see coaches who are, you know, locked in on stopping him. Uh, it, I mean, it's going to be really difficult, though, because he can create his own shot uh, in just about any situation. He scores at all three levels. He involves his teammates. His assist rate is above or near 50 percent. Just 
I don't really know what this this means for for him. I don't know what he's going to accomplish, but I can see him leading a team easily to the championship as the best player, and there's only so many guys in the league you can say that about. Yeah, I think you really hit a lot of the key points. Everything is on the table. MVP, multiple MVPs, title, Hall of Fame. All of those things are in play for Luka. I think it was David Fisdale earlier this season said he thought Luka could challenge Dirk uh, as the greatest European player of all time. Uh, that's on the table too. Uh, and again, this is not predicting those things are going to happen, right? But this is just reframing the conversation based on how well he's played in the first month. And that's, you know, when we go back to kind of Ty's prompt for us, the biggest stories. You know, if you had told us what Luca would be doing, like back in the summer, uh, my my head would have exploded. You know, I would have considered moving to Dallas. You know, <laughs> I'm being half facetious there, but like that's the level he's playing on right now. Uh, it's difficult to overhype it, so that's why he was my number two story. Hey guys, what's up? This is Ben Golliver with Sports Illustrated's Open Floor Podcast. Keeping a healthy lifestyle should be easy, right? You eat veggies, drink green smoothies, exercise to get your heart rate up, and do yoga to bring your heart rate down. Woo. Well, maybe not so easy, but there is something that helps improve everything, and you can do it with your eyes closed. It's sleep. Sleep Number knows what it takes to sleep your best. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed lets you choose your ideal firmness, comfort, and support on each side, your Sleep Number setting. It's the perfect solution for couples. These beds are so smart, they respond to your every move and automatically adjust to keep you sleeping comfortably all night. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now, for a limited time during the Memorial Day sale, save $1,000 on the new Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed, a queen now for only $17.99. You'll only find Sleep Number at Sleep Number stores or by visiting www.sleepnumber.com. That's www.sleepnumber.com. My third, fourth, and fifth story, we can go through a little bit more quickly. Uh, Number three... To me, it's the Golden State Warriors collapse in terms of the, kind of the biggest implications uh, for the NBA. And then also to a lesser degree, the Portland Trailblazers collapse, right? These are two teams that met in the Western Conference Finals, and they're just both a reminder of how quickly the league can turn upside down. I can't remember, unless you're going back to like Jordan's retirement, you know, the uh, second one, a team's fortunes kind of shifting as hard and fast as they have for Golden State. It's putting all through uh, all sorts of really respected, uh, you know, personalities, whether it's Steve Kerr, Bob Myers, their ownership, Draymond Green, <clears throat> all these people. It's putting them through a crazy mental test on just a night-to-night basis. 82-game season is so unforgiving. These guys were just sort of jet skiing through it a couple of years ago, Uh, you know, like basically doing tricks, doing 360s on the skis, you know, closing their eyes, one foot up, one foot down, now I'm on my knees, you know, like really showing out on the lake. And now this year, they can't even get up. You know, every time that the boat goes, they're just like, you know, being dragged behind it, you know, bouncing along in the wake head first. So, uh, you know, Apologies for that tortured analogy, but you get where I'm coming from. Their <laughs> life is a lot different than it was a couple of years ago. And we'll see uh, going forward the lasting damage of what they've been through, right? Are they going to be able to recover from this? Are they going to be able to kind of like pull out of this tailspin? If so, what's their ceiling when they do? Or did the NBA just pass them by? Like, what kind of a team and organization is Steph Curry coming back to when he's healthy? Uh, and same thing for Clay Thompson. It's a huge basketball story because there's a lot of talent still up there, uh, but they've got to, you know, really do a lot of work putting the pieces back together. For anyone who did not like Draymond Green over the past five years, uh, you know, watching him play right now, surrounded by rookies and castoffs and guys who should probably be in the G League, it, it must feel pretty good for those people. Um, it's not really fun to watch them play, though, and uh, I feel bad for Draymond personally, seeing him out there, and uh, everything you said, I 100% agree with. It's The NBA is extremely harsh. It's unforgiving. Uh, I think that I don't think that this this is the end of the Warriors necessarily. I'm not saying that they're going to win the championship next season or anything like that. But look, you bring a healthy Steph back, you bring a healthy Clay, presuming he is healthy. You bring Draymond back. 
Uh, I like some of the young guys, and and I think this is going to be a learning experience for them throughout this season. You still have Steve Kerr, one of the best coaches in the league. You have a very shrewd front office, and you're going to have... Look, this team is expected to win 14 games right now, so you're going to have one of the better draft picks in this upcoming draft. And if they can either uh, you know, utilize that... Uh, in a trade or draft someone who's able to make an impact right away, I think that you know they are still certainly a threat in the way. And, and, and you know, as far as as quickly as they've fallen, I think they can rise back up. Um, I think it's really funny also that we have not mentioned D'Angelo Russell at all in this conversation. Well, I'm not a big D'Angelo guy, so it's it's um, actually polite of me not to bring him up or to point <laughs> the finger at him for uh, you know having his blue or his fingerprints on some of this. It's crazy though. You mentioned the fourteen win projection. Weren't there months during the, uh, the their heyday, the Warriors' heyday, where they won fourteen games? Like I feel like there was probably a thirty one day month along the way somewhere where they won fourteen games. So now their one month of productivity is being spread across a eighty two game like six month season. Um, that's that kind of puts it in pretty stark terms, doesn't it? I'm not quite as convinced as you are, by the way, that they're going to be able to come out of this as contenders. I think they can come out of it as a good team. Uh, but I, I do wonder if they're going to be kind of chasing the, the ghost a little bit, you know, uh, for the rest of, uh, you know, the next three or four years, you know, absent some sort of a major retooling effort, you know, with trades of guys like D'Angelo and Draymond, I, uh, I think their, their ceiling actually might be lower than we assume. Hey, I'm going to move on here though, uh, to my number four storyline for Ty and it's, uh, you know, Giannis versus Harden. Uh, kind of back for you know more MVP attention and more stylistic contrast. This one's pretty straightforward. Everyone knows how I feel about Giannis. Uh, the Bucks are right there at the top of the standings. He's been you know steady night in night out, major numbers. They're not running up his minutes like crazy. You know it's just the same formula. He's back on his revenge mission. For Harden, after kind of a an ugly start there for Houston, it has been sheer offensive dominance, you know, night after night after night. It, you know, there was a 10-game stretch there where he's averaging uh, more than 40 points. Uh, he's leading uh, the NBA in scoring by a country mile. Uh, you know, he's averaging more points even than, you know, Jordan's highest career scoring average. Uh, you know, these are things that I think a lot of people might take for granted or might, uh, you know, poo-poo because they don't like Harden's style of play, but he's still doing it, and it's translating to victories. Houston's right back up near the top of the Western Conference standings. So, Michael, I don't know how you feel if you want to weigh in on either, you know, Giannis versus Harden or just uh, this topic in general. But, uh, you know, where do you stand on this one? I love this conversation. I think it's really difficult to parse the, you know, who is better when you're comparing two all-time talents like Giannis and Harden. I usually fall in line with Harden. I'm pro-Harden. I love watching him play. I think him potentially averaging 40 points per game efficiently as he is trying to do this season is one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen in the NBA. And, you know, you you take his last game against the, uh, the Denver Nuggets. It was a 10-point loss for the Rockets. He only scored 27 points. How many players in, like, league history, when you say he only scored 27 like how how like and you're disappointed in that in that production. How, like how many guys can you even think of who oh yeah who would make you say something like that? Well, I mean, flip it around. If you're Michael Malone, is it champagne or beer after that game for holding him <laughs> to 27? Right? Like you're legitimately celebrating with your coaching staff for real. I mean, I'm not even kidding. Like if you're holding James Harden to 27 points at this point, first of all, you're probably winning the game, and second of all, you're probably you know you're, whoever did the defensive game plan uh, is getting a little extra cash in the envelope, you know. Yeah, I, I I think in in just going back to the comparison between him and Giannis, I think one of the more interesting questions and why I would vote for Harden for MVP if we were foolishly doing that today um, is you know how good would Giannis and the Bucks be if if Russell Westbrook was on that team? I mean, like the the and my point is basically that. Harden is individually brilliant, regardless of what is around him, who is around him, what system he's in. I just think he's he's an incredibly special player. Not to say that you know the Rockets haven't done a great job with the supplementary pieces, but you know the fact that he's gotten better with Russell Westbrook as his teammate is nothing short of astounding. 
He's right there in the conversation. I think that your your main point that we need to let this shake out is right. This MVP race is awesome. <laughs> I mean, the personalities and the star power involved mm-hmm. with Giannis, LeBron, Harden, and Luka, and then potentially some other guys sneaking in there too. Um, it could be a really, really good race. Uh, I can't wait to see it. Usually what we try to you know default to is who are going to be the most consistent guys who aren't going to have the lulls. Uh, that would lead you to thinking, you know, a guy like Harden and Giannis would have staying power. Uh, but LeBron, if he keeps playing like this too, he's not going anywhere either. So I think it's going to be a, a great race. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have an official vote anymore. The Washington Post kind of sits on a high horse about award voting. So uh, I'm going to have to kind of live vicariously through my fellow colleagues voting and maybe try to campaign actively on podcasts to steer them a certain direction as this thing unfolds. Uh, but we're not quite there yet. Hey, Michael, my last one for my top five storylines, it's something that we hit on uh, on the last episode. It's sort of the two sides to the Kyrie Irving departure from Boston, how the Celtics have played so spunky, high energy, uh, and gotten more from their wings uh, since Kemba Walker has arrived. And then on the flip side, you know, Brooklyn definitely still trying to figure it out. Who are they going to be? How do they want to play? How do they keep the other guys involved? Uh, to me, that's a major basketball story that probably deserves more attention than it's gotten. Uh, did I leave anything out? Were there any honorable mentions or snubs you want to throw into this conversation as far as the biggest stories of the first month of the season? Ben Simmons hit a three on Wednesday night. So this is a little inside baseball, but we had a lot of basketball dorks to listen to this podcast, so I'll just go ahead and indulge. I was sitting there at Staples Center like three hours before the Clippers-Celtics game, just kind of getting ready and keeping an eye on that Knicks-Sixers game. Uh, you know, Zach Lowe comes in to kind of chide me for, you know, slumping over my computer kind of with like a death stare at the screen, you know, watching this basketball game. And I said, Zach, history is happening right now. And he's like, what do you mean? I said, Ben Simmons. Yes, that Ben Simmons just swished a corner three. Like it was nothing. And I, and I was basically saying, look, I'm writing it right now. And he gives me this look like, oh my God, I have to go edit my story. And he just kind of like hightailed it back to the media room. Cause I guess he wrote about the Sixers today. Anyway, this is what happens when Simmons hits a three-pointer. The basketball world stops. You know, The writing greats like Zach Lowe have to go call the rewrite desk and say, all right, <laughs> we got to scrap whatever <laughs> I had uh, and, and do it over. I mean, that you know, it's a good one. I'm not sure it's a top five story of the season, but uh, it counted. Yeah, it, the, the, the shot counted. Um, no, I mean... Uh, you Try to you sound basic- a little more dismissive, all right? I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is a big development, don't you think? Humongous. I mean, he we we talked about it in the last episode. He uh, he hits them regularly. Hits that exact shot from that exact spot regularly in pregame warmups. And I will say he looked very comfortable. And you know, he, it just kind of they swung the ball to him, and he didn't hesitate and he shot it and it went in. So I, I don't understand why that doesn't happen more often. Uh, it was funny to hear the Sixers broadcast crew just go completely ballistic and it was perfect. Uh, for Simmons to get a standing ovation for about five minutes. Uh, I was expecting confetti to fall. It did not. That was disappointing. Uh, well, the I'll, other, I'll, Well, real quick, I'll tell you something else <laughs> that was disappointing. Look, I'm definitely from the Barry Sanders school of, of self-conduct, right? Act like you've been there before. Hand the mm-hmm. football to the referee when you get into the end zone. But when you're Ben Simmons after 172 games of being afraid to shoot a three-pointer and they ask you after the game about how does it feel to finally make a three-pointer you don't get to act like you've been there before because you haven't been there before okay just admit (laughs) that it was a big moment it was nice to see the ball go through the net hopefully will happen more in the future don't try to play it off like it was no big deal come on Ben Simmons yeah, that's his. He's too cool for school, which that's his personality, and you got to respect it. Um, the the one other minor nerdy basketball story that I've been following most closely, I would I would say, is just you know the Minnesota Timberwolves and the fact that you have Carl Anthony Towns and you're finally unleashing him as the player he should be. You know, I just get really frustrated when coaching staffs play lineups that don't make sense for years and stifle young talent and you know kudos to ryan saunders for letting carl anthony towns jack up nine threes a game and play on the perimeter while still balancing his post-ups uh you know he's making 44 percent of them like i feel like this is this is a pretty notable development 
No question about it. And I'm glad you mentioned it because I think one of my other honorable mentions were teams like, you know, Dallas, Phoenix, and Minnesota all kind of making the leap and, you know, getting uh, improved play from their kind of centerpiece younger guys who are just taking that next step. But then also just finding, you know, more functional ways to build offenses around them and to set them up for more sustained success. I would say that's another big time uh, basketball headline. So, so great inclusion there. Hey, we're going to shift gears and take some questions from the open floor globe here. Uh, but before we do that, we have a message uh, from musician. Now you guys will remember from last episode uh, that as many as seven out of 10 adults wish they played a musical instrument. Unfortunately, many never do because they think it's either too late for them to start too expensive, or they feel like they don't have the time. Musician is an online music education platform that rethinks the way people learn music. It's fun, easy, and affordable. Uh, and if you want to learn the guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, or even singing, they've got you covered. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician's award-winning technology actually listens to you play and gives real-time feedback on your timing and accuracy. There's no need for chords or special equipment. With Musician, you'll learn to play your favorite songs faster than ever before and have fun doing it. Musician is perfect whether you're just starting out or have been playing for years. Enjoy thousands of popular songs, expertly crafted lessons and exercises across dozens of genres. You'll even learn music theory, sheet reading, and tablature too. Compared to private lessons, Musician is more affordable and lets you learn on your own schedule. If you've been wanting to learn an instrument or simply want some help getting back to playing, check out Musician. You can get an extended 14-day free trial of their Premium Plus package at musician.com play. That's unlimited lessons and unlimited songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com play to start your free trial today. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash play. Go there today and tell them Open Floor sent you. All right, Michael, we're opening it up to the Open Floor Globe who brought all sorts of great questions. And I mentioned a little bit earlier being at that Clippers Celtics game. That game prompted a flood of emails. It was such a crazy game with the stoppages from the referee and big time shot making from guys on both sides. Um, so I tried to cull together some of my favorite takes uh, from the open floor globe to just use that as a starting point. Daniel from Israel writes, I'm a longtime open floor globe member living in Israel. When I was young, I watched games into the wee hours of the morning and night. I failed my tests at school, had discipline problems, and got grounded. As a grown-up, <laughs> due to the time differences and with the exception of the playoffs, I'm pretty much limited to watching early games or very late games. Therefore, I get to watch a lot of the L.A. bubble, which is better than watching my good-for-nothing Knicks. Uh, awesome, Daniel. I love that backstory. Uh, he went on to say, One thing I've noticed in the Clippers games is that the team's best minutes come when either Kawhi Leonard or Paul George is on the bench. Would you say this means the selection of George as the second star for Kawhi was a failure? Could they have gone a different route? So, Michael, I know you uh, you caught up on this game this morning. What were your first impressions of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard playing together? Daniel and Israel is already ready to say they screwed it up and this is never going to work. Are you there yet? Or uh, what did you see, positive or negative? Yeah, I think you got to trade one of those guys uh, just coming out of that game. No, no I mean, yeah, it was their first It was their first uh, game together, and Doc Rivers staggered their minutes, did a pretty good job of keeping at least one of them on the floor at all times. Um, I thought that, you know, they assisted a couple of each other's baskets given, you know, the style that uh, the defensive uh, strategy, I should say, that the Boston deployed, which was you know trapping Paul George and trapping Kawhi and pick and roll high up 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 on the court, and those guys did a really good job of hitting release valves and and, and swinging the ball to the opposite corner. And Pat Beverly got a couple wide open threes off of that action. Uh, so I I don't know. I mean, I think they'll be fine defensively. They were a bear down the stretch together, and you know forced some turnovers from a team that does not turn the ball over at all. Kemba Walker was really uncharacteristic uncharacteristically sloppy uh, down the stretch, and the Celtics probably would have won the game if not. Uh, so, we, I mean, we saw we saw some some natural growing pains, I think, and we saw uh, just how excellent that team can be. And I, I 
kind of don't think that anyone should be panicking at the moment. Uh, both are both Kawhi and and Paul George are excellent, and uh, I mean they're both deserving of their own teams for sure. But the fact that they're together, I, I I'm still a believer that they can definitely complement one another uh, on the highest stage. I mean, it was blowing my mind watching them take the court together. I mean, we've been waiting for it for months. You get that first look at it, and it's like, man, alive. These guys are long, athletic, and they're going to be <laughs> yeah. a problem for a lot of teams. Um, I appreciate your restraint, but I also love the overreaction uh, from from the emailer. Uh, it's good to ask those kinds of questions. Uh, it might not be healthy to draw conclusions that quickly, but it's good to at least ask it. I didn't think that Kawhi and Paul had the most natural two-man interplay, but you hit on it when you mentioned Beverly's threes late. The big takeaway for me for this game was the just the devastating potential of the Clippers' closing lineup. When you've got Lou, Montrez Harrell, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and Beverly, that is a squad that can put a lot of pressure on opposing defenses and kind of stretch them to every single court. Now, look, there's only going to be one death lineup, okay? That's the Golden State Warriors. We know their small ball look is going to go down in history as one of the greatest five-man looks ever, one of the most star-studded, Hall of Fame-studded guys uh, you know, you're ever going to see. So this is not the death lineup, Michael, but maybe it's the coma lineup, right? Like they're almost to death, <laughs> but they're only like 75% of the way there because when they're running that pick and roll with Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell, and you've got Paul George on one side, Kawhi on one side, defenders cannot leave those guys, and then you've got Beverly hiding in the corner sort of playing like the Andre Iguodala role, that forces tough decisions. And Boston was trying to blitz at times, you know, coming at Lou Williams, trying to maybe force him into a turnover or just kind of scramble the Clippers offense. And when they did that, uh, they had trouble, you know, kind of playing the whack-a-mole game on the backside. They just didn't have enough, uh, you know, bodies to cover everybody. You know, Beverly was left wide open. He was a ready, willing, and able shooter. His life is going to be pretty simple on offense in those situations. Um, and, you know, he's basically the release valve and he's been waiting his whole career to play on a winning team that needs him to do that. So um, I was just really taken by their potential uh, with that group late in that game. Um, you know, there's going to be defensive mismatches where, you know, there's going to be certain teams who can exploit Montrez Harrell as a center. Uh, there's going to be teams that do a much better job of targeting Lou Williams defensively. Uh, than maybe the Celtics did last night. Uh, Williams happened to have a, a few big defensive plays, which is definitely not his MO um, and is probably not sustainable uh, going forward. So there could be situations where maybe he gets flopped out for a guy like Shamit or, or a Mo Harkless uh, in late game situations. But you know that five-man group to me, man, I was sitting there licking my lips, licking my chops, thinking I can't wait to watch these guys. Once they get their chemistry on point, once they get the repetitions that they need, uh, once everybody's kind of in condition and healthy, their ceiling is super high. So this this brings me to a question and a conversation that I actually had with with someone who's pretty smart and knows basketball. Uh, and I'm springing it on you off the cuff, so uh, pardon that. But you brought up the Warriors and the death lineup, and w- you know I will never be able to see it, unfortunately, but. I wonder which team would have the edge in, let's say, let's say a game is tied, uh, five minutes to go. It's Clippers. It's this Clippers team versus the 2018 Warriors, and you have Curry, KD, Draymond, Clay, and Iguodala on the floor versus Kawhi, PG, Beverly, uh, uh, Montrezl Harrell, and I guess we'll we'll say Lou Williams. Like, wh- which team is better? Is it a crazy question? I think the Warriors are are definitely better. I think that they're defensively their weakest link is Steph, and he's way better defensively than Lou Williams is. I think offensively, I would take both uh, that version of Steph Curry and Kevin Durant as offensive players over the Clippers' best two offensive players in Paul George uh, and Kawhi Leonard. Uh, but it's close. It's not It's not a blowout for sure. And you could make an argument that the Clippers, if everybody's healthy and they're in a vacuum, could have given that Warriors team a tougher push than anybody that they really faced. But I also think like, especially that 2017 Warriors group, like their first year with Kevin Durant, they were so taken for granted. It drives me nuts. Everybody was so caught up in, oh, KD left Oklahoma City. Oh, this isn't fair anymore. Oh, they're just killing everybody. Go back and look at the stats from their playoff run. 16-1, 
mopping teams off the court, just destroying really good teams like it wasn't even difficult. I mean, there were some of those playoff games where the guys were barely sweating. That's the, the kind of level they were executing on. And so to me, I, I default with the Warriors. Uh, do you feel differently? No, I'm not going to be an idiot and say that the Warriors would lose. Uh, that that was the best team of all time. And But I, I am a, like a huge... I just think Kawhi is... I mean, Kawhi gave those some of those Warriors teams... Uh, trouble when he was healthy and by himself in those Spurs lineups and, you know, pair him with the firepower and someone like Paul George, who's a fellow superstar. I just think it would be really interesting. I don't think necessarily that they would come out on top, though. Yeah, I'm, I'm watching that series. There's no doubt. And Kawhi has uh, had success against a lot of the greats, whether it's LeBron or those Warriors teams. I mean, kind of both ways. Uh, he's been a thorn in their side. So we got one other question on this game from Joe. And he writes, in one of the recent podcasts, Ben, you mentioned wanting to be your listeners commuting podcast or their gym podcast, but that you very much didn't want to be a multitasking at work podcast. I live abroad at the moment in a place where basketball isn't especially popular. And there's a pretty great outdoor court behind my office that's always empty. So open floor has become my listen while working on my shooting mechanics on my own podcast. It's a nice after work hour. Joe touching email. I'm so glad that our voice can kind of power you towards your future as a splash brother. I, I'm I'm honored and touched and I'm very glad to be in that conversation. He writes though, the Boston Clippers game was incredible. To me it was the best game of the season. What do you guys think? So are you going to put it on that level, Michael, or is he uh, being a little bit uh, too caught up in the moment? Off the top of my head, it's in the conversation for sure. I mean, what are there are there any other candidates that you can think of that I'm trying to think of? Yeah, I, I that's a it was a pretty good game. I mean, I, I I thought that you know the Celtics were. I didn't think that we saw the best that they have to offer, particularly out of of Kemba Walker. And I mean, they shot one for eighteen in the first half, so. Uh, from behind the three-point line. So, I mean, it wasn't the the, the tippity t- I mean, entertaining-wise, down the stretch, it was great and it was thrilling and all that. But uh, I don't think the quality of basketball was as good as it, as we've seen. Um, I mean, just... No, I'm with you. It was, it was choppy and poor Mark is smart. I mean, I think, you know, you hear about these elite shot makers and elite shot takers. He is an elite shot misser. I mean, he is so good. <laughs> at missing shots it's unbelievable in big moments if you need a miss Marcus Smart is there to miss it and look I'm being halfway facetious he had that incredible diving uh, play to save the possession out of bounds where he kind of bounces the ball off one of the Clippers players as he crashes to the court I mean he brings so much to the table but you're right that game was there for the taking for Boston they should have won it it's not like they're gonna you know regret that one for all time Uh, but like Tatum's big three late I mean they had a lot of really really good moments uh, it was a sloppy game, really, for both teams, you know, or, or at least choppy through the first couple of quarters. But the end game was just crazy. All of the reviews, bodies flying all over the court. Uh, it was definitely kind of a pinch yourself moment for about an hour there. And, and to top it all off, Kawhi's dunk. Oh my <laughs> God! Poor Daniel Tice. So, yeah, that was it. So yeah, I'm with the emailer. I think it was the game of the year. All right, we'll dig into some more questions here in a moment. But first, we've got another uh, great ad from one of our sponsors, Health IQ. Do you average eight hours of sleep per night? Yes, I do. Do you eat a quality plant-based diet? Yes, I do. Do you exercise four or more times per week? Yes, I do. Well, then basically, if you're like me, you're doing everything right to ensure you live a long life. So isn't it time for you to be financially rewarded for your commitment to a healthy lifestyle? Look in the mirror. You look good. You are doing everything right for your health today, but you need to plan for the what ifs of tomorrow. That's where Health IQ comes in. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for people like you. If you're a runner or a cyclist, or if you're into CrossFit or another type of athletic activity, even if you're just a committed weekend warrior, uh, then you deserve to be rewarded for your hard work with more affordable life insurance rates. Health IQ can save you up to 41% because physically active people have significantly lower risks for heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. These savings are exclusive to Health IQ. You won't find them anywhere else, and you must qualify to get a special rate. 
So to see if you qualify, go to healthiq.com slash floor to take the proprietary Health IQ quiz. Depending upon your score, as well as other related qualifying factors, you can save up to 41% on your life insurance premiums compared to other providers. Again, that's healthiq.com slash floor to let them know that we sent you and start the process with the Health IQ quiz. There's no commitment and you'll learn even more about potential opportunities to be rewarded for your commitment to living healthy. One more time, that's healthiq.com slash floor. All right, Michael, we've got some more questions here and uh, let's go a little to the lighter side, okay? Nick writes, I'm five foot six, roughly 220 pounds. I'm not the fastest guy, but I'm not the slowest. I'm better at defense than I look, and I'm a decent shooter. I'm curious, though. What percentage do I need to be able to shoot on threes to maintain a stable NBA career, given all those d- details that I just told you? I want to be Kyle Korver-esque, but I'm five foot six and 220. Do I need to shoot 60%, 70%? What do you think? So, Michael, Nick is trying to make the league, Okay. I'm not sure it's going to happen. I'm not sure there's ever been a five foot six, two hundred twenty pound NBA player. Just sh- shout history. out to that body type, though. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt. Uh, what do you think? What's his shooting percentage got to be? Well, I think it, it it depends on volume for one, and then also how many of these shots are getting blocked. Like, what's the percentage of the shot that shots that are getting blocked that he's taking that are ultimately turnovers that go the other direction? Uh, if shots that he he releases. Uh, and actually head towards the rim, go in, I would say, you know, 50% of the time, that's pretty good. I don't know if that's an NBA career, but that's an impressive feat. Yeah, I think he's got some real issues because you're right. It's not only uh, the threat of getting your shot blocked. It's also you've got to get open, right? And if you're a 50% three-point shooter, like if there's videos of you, Nick, just draining 153s in a row in like an empty gym, like black ops gym with Carmelo Anthony, and here's your shooting spree. Um, guess what? You're not, you're never going to be left open. And that's going to be a big problem because then you're not getting your shot off. Right? So I would actually say, we need to work on the body type before we work on the shooting mechanics in this situation, right? <laughs> like you need to be, you need to be able to get yourself into JJ Redick mode where you're running all over the court. You're like Rip Hamilton style. You're just a ceaseless ball of energy. If you want to stay on the court, you have to be the most annoying player on the court to defend. Uh, then from a shooting standpoint, um, I think 50% sounds pretty, Sounds pretty good to me uh, to compensate for your defensive weaknesses, just the lack of size. You're going to get picked on mercilessly. Um, you know, you're, you're going to sort of be in that Isaiah Thomas mold, uh, unfortunately. So you're really going to have to be doing it big. And I think, unfortunately, like we've even seen shooting specialists in great shape who work hard, do everything right, high IQ players, guys like Redick, uh, you know, Joe Harris really struggle, especially even in the playoffs, once teams kind of like key on them. So 50%, if that's all you're bringing to the table, might actually not be quite enough to you know, earn yourself an NBA career. I do think, though, everything you've described to me says China Basketball Association legend. I think you're <laughs> going to get a statue right there next to Stefan Marbury if you have this body type and this shooting ability. So I would encourage you as your agent to kind of go that direction. I think that that's a fair compromise. <laughs> All right. We got another question from Matteo in Italy. He writes, open floor is my commute workout podcast. I'm saying this since you say you wear it as a badge of honor. Thank you, Matteo. Do you think that an all European team of NBA players, let's put them in Dallas, would be a title contender? Who's in your starting five? And he also adds, by the way, take nothing but pictures, leave nothing but f- footprints is now my life motto. Thanks to the pod. Matteo, man, I'm so glad we could influence your life in a, in a positive direction. Michael, do you have an idea on your starting five or, or who you'd want in the mix for that? I do, yes. Uh, I love this question, and I actually was thinking about this during the uh, FIBA World Cup over the summer. Just you know how an all-Euro team or all-international team would look and how good it could be. Uh, so, I mean... We're starting in Dallas. I think that it goes without saying that Luka Doncic is the point guard of this basketball team. Uh, and then, 
franchise player, Fran- right? We're building the whole show around Luca. Fra- there are some talented players though on this team, and the, the 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 group that I have that is this is only my starting five. Um, there was a lot of tough cuts that I had to make, and the the roster is not necessarily uh, complimentary. But uh, this lineup, so we have Luca, who just kind of. Uh, seals over cracks and makes everything look wonderful at that position. Uh, and then uh, at the two, I'm thinking uh, one of the Bogdanoviches. I'm not exactly positive which one. Uh, I probably Bogdan because he's one of my favorite players yeah. to watch in the league. But Bogdan with Sacramento, that's just pure firepower. Now you're getting me excited with the idea of, of what he and Luca could do together. Yeah, so from there, uh, we need some space. And, you know, defensively, there's going to be some issues. But I have Gallinari at the three, even though he's he's definitely a four at this point in his career. Um, I just had to put a spot for him on the team. He's a, He gets to the free throw line. I think he'd be a bully ball mismatch nightmare for whoever had to guard him on the wing. Uh, he's been healthy recently, which is great, uh, and a borderline all-star last season. So shout out to Gallo. Uh, and then my last two in the front court, uh, we're in Dallas and I have faith that Chris Daps Porzingis will eventually figure it out. So this is the version, the version of Chris Daps I'm envisioning is, uh, you know, I, I guess a full year or, or two full years removed from the ACL injury. So he's back to being on the trajectory he was pre-injury as this just total freak 7-3 monster who can shoot threes and protect the rim. And then at the five, I got to go with uh, Nikola Jokic and just make this team as f- as as strange and uh, ridiculous to guard as possible. No, that's an absolute squad. I mean, that that team's definitely competing for a title. There's no question. I mean, you can try to nitpick and say, oh, you know, they're going to probably struggle from a defensive versatility standpoint. Um, do they have the one-on-one lockdown type defenders at any position? No, they don't. Um, but... Uh, their offense is going to be an absolute just monster. Uh, you know, I think the trick for this question is like, do you include Giannis or do you not? Like, are you counting him as quote unquote European or are you taking the uh, the idea that, well, he's he's actually, uh, you know, Nigerian as I, I believe Masai Ujiri and other people have tried to point out because um, that team just gets even more ridiculous if Giannis is your four or Giannis is your three and, and Porzingis is your four. And, you know, Jokic is your five and, and Luca's your one. I mean, come on. That's just like an embarrassment of riches. So, Matteo, um, you know, next time, email in. Let me know your top five. But I know you're from Italy, so you're probably excited that Michael included uh, Gallinari, who I agree with you. He's one of the more underrated guys out there. Was a fringe all-star last year, you know, giving Oklahoma City pretty good minutes this year. Um, and, you know, a very likely player at the trade deadline to you know potentially you know jump start a team heading into the playoffs much like his former teammate uh, Tobias Harris did you know last year I, th- I could see him you know moving and having a similar kind of impact uh, you know on uh, you know a team's trajectory uh, like that happened last year all right we're going to f- close this thing out with two more emails from the open floor globe first uh, Brendan writes, and he doesn't have a question. He's just trying to get something off his chest. And I think we should just let this simmer. Okay. He writes, after the Blazers awful start to the season, I sit watching every game, not with depression, but with newfound apathy. Long gone are the feelings of anxiety or sadness. And in their stead is just nothingness. The Carmelo Anthony signing doesn't even bother me because it's oddly a positive over the likes of Mario Hazonia and Anthony Tolliver and Carmelo can't really break what is already broken. Now I could go on a rant here about our whole defensive scheme relies heavily on a good center and how Whiteside is the worst player on the court, but that's not why I write to you today. Last night, last night I came across this little nugget of truth. The Blazers at 5-10 and 10 are tied for the third worst start in franchise history. This made me realize how spoiled this franchise has been. Albeit spoiled with mediocrity, but I can come away from this experience with a new mantra. At least we aren't the New York Knicks. Brendan, I'm not sure that's a new mantra. I think that one might have been floating for a while, but I'm glad that you discovered it. And self-discovery is the best kind, right? When when you're learning a lesson by yourself, for yourself, um, that's what it's all about. 
uh, his point is pretty well taken. Um, Blazers have had things better than most uh, over the course of their history. They had a long streak of, of playoff appearances that ran through like the 80s and 90s where they never really bottomed out. Um, but they are reaching a point here, Michael, where it's getting dark and people are looking within and probably playing some Elliott Smith music up there. And uh, I guess my heart goes out to Brendan and the other Blazer maniacs. Yeah, it's been a tough year. A lot of really unfortunate injuries to this team. Uh, it, you're, the, the frustration of not capitalizing on a Damian Lillard season for the ages. Uh, CJ McCollum has really struggled. Uh, Whiteside doesn't look like he wants to play basketball when he's playing basketball, which is not great and the bench is just filled with a lot of one-dimensional pieces um i personally love and adore anthony simons um partially because i wrote a profile about him over the summer and got to hang out with him and meet his family so selfishly i i root for him uh and he's played pretty well but it's not oh so you're not you're not watching this with nothingness like our emailer you're watching this saying like torture to the ground so my guy Anthony <laughs> can get 20 shots that's what you're thinking no exactly I'm, I'm yeah I bet I, I for anyone who was closely listening in our last episode it wasn't an accident that I was poo-pooing the Carmelo Anthony signing because I was afraid it would take t- touches and shots away from Simons um, but it's it's just not it's just not their year. I think that's that's clear. They have a an incredibly high payroll, which is worrisome. They just signed C.J. McCollum to an extension, and he's been disappointing, as I just said. Uh, I, I, I don't really know where they go from here. They have some interesting young pieces. I don't think it's worthwhile to make a win-now trade, despite the payroll. So they're just going to have to ride this one out, I think. I, I, I mean, what what is your, your gauge on what needs to happen yeah, here. for sure no no they're cashing in all the favors from last year right it's the like hey look like i know i'm not really holding up my end of the bargain i'm not doing the dishes at home you know i'm not taking care of the other chores but just remember that like i had a really good month last month so like <laughs> i've got the brownie points like they're cashing in the brownie points basically you know what i mean yeah. um and you know that happens sometimes but i do think like it's so hard for a team in that situation to make the conference finals in the west that you can kind of justify it or rationalize it. Like their summer was awful. I didn't really like anything that they did. Um, I still thought Lillard would be able to carry them through this better than he has, but it shouldn't necessarily be a huge surprise. I thought their real misstep for them was coming into the season, hyping things up so much, saying how deep they are, uh, yada, yada, yada. Like they should have been trying to manage those expectations a little bit better than they did. Um, But I also think like, you know, more immediately, you know, Carmelo was not good in his debut. He is not going to solve things. Uh, he contributed, uh, you know, at multiple times on offense, but he was just completely in quicksand on defense. A minus twenty in his first game. You know, shades of the Houston experience. I don't expect it to get meaningfully better, and uh, I, I do think they're just sort of like along for the ride. Hey, the last uh, question we got, or really, it's a comment from the Open Floor Globe, comes in from David, and he says. With all this talk about the different types of podcasts, whether it's the commute podcast or the exercise podcast, what I wanted to say is that you are my cooking podcast, and that is the real highest tier. Cooking is a meditative, unwinding process for me, done to the soundtrack of Open Floor. Thanks a lot. David, that is amazing, and it really exposed me, Michael, because I don't cook. You know, like basically, I'm a Trader Joe's microwave it and go type of guy, unfortunately. Um, I had never even considered that you could have a, a podcast for cooking that cooking would take longer than like two minutes and 45 seconds so that you could really dig into a podcast. Um, but you know, he's exposing me to an entire uh, branch and genre of podcasts that I didn't realize existed. And I think he's got a point. It is a really good time, much like the chores podcast to really dig in, lock in, shut everything else out and uh, engage with the subject. So how do you feel being part of somebody's cooking podcast? That's a true honor because I do cook and I have my headphones on when I'm doing it. And okay, so stop right there. What do you what do you cook? Let, let me hear. I mean, what what kind of a chef are you? What what are your specialties? I mean, if I'm going to the peanut household, what am I coming away with? Well, recently I, I'm very simple. 
but I've been making these rice bowls with uh, chicken, corn, black beans, uh, jalapenos. Uh, sprinkle a little bit of a uh, little bit of mozzarella cheese or or, or, or Mexican cheese on top, and it's uh, it's delicious. But that takes a while because you've got to you know you bake the chicken and uh, you season the chicken and all that, and um, wait for the rice to cook. Well, it's all timing oriented, so there can't be anything too complicated that I'm listening to when I'm doing it, or I'll totally mess up. Uh, but I need to be entertained at the same time, so. I, I totally get that uh, you know the 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 honor of being chosen as a cooking podcast is is through the roof and uh, so so thank you and uh, it's it's as you said earlier about the different uh, podcast it's it's very touching to be to be in that, that to be mentioned and, and be in that club. Well, now it's just really got my mind going like how many other genres of podcast listening are out there that I hadn't really considered, right? Because I was just basing it off my own life. And let's be honest, I'm like one of the most basic boys there are. You know what I mean? It's like go for a walk for two hours a day, basically, write for like eight hours a day, get stuck in traffic for an hour going to the Lakers or a Clippers game, and then watch basketball for every other moment that I'm awake, right? So this is not a very well-balanced life. And so I was strictly looking at it on like, what activities do I actually have? It's good to see other sides of the human experience. And that's why I'm going to encourage everybody out there. Expose me to your genres. Okay. What else are you doing while you're listening to podcasts? I want to hear about it. I need to update and uh, flesh out my rankings. So please uh, keep those coming. Hey, Michael, we came to the end of another episode. Uh, thanks so much for all your takes. Guys, you can email us openfloormail at gmail.com openfloormail at gmail.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. Once you find that page, scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. I'm on Instagram at ben.goliver. Michael is on Twitter at uh, Michael V. Pina and at, on Instagram at Michael V. Pina. And of course, you can find his work at espionation.com. Hey, Michael, until next week, which is Thanksgiving week, I will talk to you. See you, Ben.